Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome to Administrative Static. This is John Vecchione. I won't be joined by Mark this week, unfortunately. And uh, so the Supreme Court has started its term. And last week, I previewed a little about what was going to go on. And um, oral arguments have started, but I think I'm going to wait till Mark comes back to uh, go over some of those oral arguments that have already occurred. So I thought what I'd do is talk about give you a preview of what's coming up in October. And uh, there are some really important cases, including one of ours that I sort of teased last week. But um, here is the, here, I want to I go over uh, first uh, for Halloween. Uh, there's going to be what I think is, is going to draw tremendous press attention and is going to have um, you know, because, because it involves universities and, and, and it involves race, I, I think that the, the academia is going to be all a flutter with these two cases. And so we have Students for Fair Admissions versus the University of North Carolina and Students for Fair Admissions versus Presidents and Fellows of Harvard College. Now, so it's the same plaintiff. And what, what they've done here and why these, these cases have been taken up together, but they've been separated because Ketanji Brown Jackson, who's now a justice, told the Senate that she would recuse from the Harvard case because she was an advisor or even a fellow. I think she was one of the fellows of Harvard College. Uh, and so she had a conflict of interest and she said she would sit on that case. And um, the Supreme Court then separated the two cases. So she can sit on the University of North Carolina because the way that um, conflicts work, it's, it's not about the issue. It's about whether you have a personal relationship with one of the parties. And she obviously has a very close uh, relationship with Harvard uh, and the policies there because she was, she was um, one of the advisors to that. So, so you may have a different split on these cases. I, I always think um, there was a series of cases about where you could put the Ten Commandments. And, uh, and Justice Breyer was uh, on one side of the Ten Commandments, if they were old Ten Commandments, if they'd been there, you know, for a long time, he wouldn't remove them, but he couldn't put them in new. So the case is split differently because it was a 5-4 uh, decision. And uh, I think on these, because of the, I think the court will come out the same way in both because of, of how, whichever way they come out, I think it, they'll be uh, the same. But we will have Judge Jackson, at least on the University of North Carolina case, which I think is all to the good. It's, it's not great when you don't know where a, ju a justice is coming from, when you're either preparing your cases or, or deciding where the law is going. Um, and, and so I think that it's, it's good that the court split them and that she will be on that, at least one of them. So what's the issue? What's going on here? So uh, this is... 
what's happened is is that we have we have statutes we have the 1964 civil rights act that there won't be discrimination on the basis of race and public accommodations and then we also have um various uh, title six and, and various uh, government programs where if you accept money for educational purposes you cannot discriminate on the basis of race um so the the plaintiffs in this in these cases students for fair admissions say that in fact these elite universities one is a public university that's the university of north carolina and one is a private university but that takes public money and that is uh harvard a uh, a uh, private university along the charles river um for those who you not familiar with it but in any event um I had a I had an old Georgetown professor who used to call Harvard Georgetown on the Charles, but uh, in any event, uh, I, I think that uh, the, these cases are going to come out the same way. But there's a slight difference here. The University of North Carolina is it, it is a state actor because it is a state university, so it is required to comply with the Fourteenth Amendment and everything else, even directly. Um, and Harvard isn't. Harvard's a private actor, but it takes federal money. So that's where, where this comes in for, for Harvard. Maybe there'll be some sort of um, doctrinal split, but I don't think so because the, the court tries to avoid constitutional issues. And I think they'll go back to the statute on this and what the statute allows. And then secondarily, what did the statute want to do? And then if the statute allowed discrimination in favor of certain minorities, does that mean that there's discrimination against others? And one of the, the facts that's going to, I think, um, engage the court and cause uh, a lot of questioning and a lot of commentary is that uh, Asian Americans are if, if you if you allow a certain amount of spots for African Americans, Hispanics Americans, and white Americans, actually, um, you you necessarily lower the number of Asian Americans if you if you just looked at standardized tests and grades. That's the argument. Um, now Harvard and North Carolina make the argument that there's things besides standardized tests and grades. And at Harvard, you know, there's legacy, there's there's professors. You have you have big pluses to getting in if you know you're you're Henry Pierpont the fourth and you're and you're uh, been at Harvard since uh, you know the uh, the um, the Mayflower or as one Harvard graduate and governor uh, William w Well used to say that um, they said that I we came over on the Mayflower and that's not true we sent the servants on the Mayflower came through after so there's that. There's that aspect of Harvard, I suppose. Um, I thought it was funny when he said it, and I still think it's funny. But in any event, so th there's various other things that these colleges look at to let you in to create sort of uh, a, a, a community reaching back into the past, right? And then sports, the Harvard-Yale game, it's, it's huge. It's like the Army-Navy game. Th those teams are not, uh, you know, can't, can't compete with Alabama, but those games are very big for a lot of people. And it's because of uh, legacy type uh, matters. So, well, where's that come in? So I think you're going to hear a lot of that from the court. And I am not going to uh, really go in and where I think it's going to come out. But I do think that the issues 
um, that are going to be raised are important ones because the, the court said uh, 22 years ago uh, in a case, it, it said that, it, that um, you know, Justice O'Connor basically said, well, we, we can have these type of, of racial um, additions for schools in order to make the country more diverse and fair and all that for about a quarter century, 25 years, and then they'll fade away. Well, they haven't faded away. They've become, particularly in academia, with the ideology that goes on in academia, they've become more stark. They've become much more stark. And the, the, the argument of the, the plaintiffs in, in, this, in these cases, um, petitioners, because they lost. It's interesting, both in North Carolina and in Boston, they lost. The lower courts are bound by the previous decisions, Baki and all the rest of the um, Supreme Court's takes on this, where they said, well, yeah, you can take it into account as a factor. Um, they said, well, we think that they just take it into account as a factor and it's not dispositive. And so it's allowable. And, and the lower courts were bound by that. And now uh, they also made findings of facts and the Supreme Court is going to be bound by those findings of fact. And they said that they're not intentionally discriminating. Um, I find that somewhat um, questionable, but those are the finding of fact. And I, I think as a review court, unless it's clearly erroneous, they're, they're bound by that. So uh, I, I think these cases are going to be uh, decided the same way, whichever way they come out. Um, we aren't at Justice O'Connor's 25 year mark yet. So maybe they'll wait three more years, but uh, it's certainly, it's taken these cases a long time to work their way up. It would take the next case a long time to work its way up. And so, and, and it's also, you know, the statutes remain the same. The Constitution remains the same. There shouldn't be like 25-year-old fade-outs. The law is whatever it is. You can have as equity, uh, well, people have relied on this, so for this, we're not going to make this holding retroactive. You can do that sort of thing here and there. But you can't say that the law is X and it stayed X for all this time, but there's some doctrine that's going to fade out in 25 years for reasons unclear to anyone. So I think that Justice O'Connor's statement are going to be widely questioned and, and quoted, and it, it's, going, uh, it's, it's going to be a lively oral argument, I will tell you that, on both of these. And it's going to be for court watchers I think kind of fun and exciting in that, uh, you know, we, we want to get the, how, how Justice Jackson is going to react on the court and, and how she's going to um, engage in oral argument. She's already started and Mark and I, hopefully we'll talk about that next week, but, but in one case she'll be there and in one case she won't. And I, I think all court watchers are going to say, well, what is the impact you do? Do we have a data point about What's going on here? So uh, I think that I think that these cases will be high, high on the radar screen in all, all court watchers, but also in the newspapers and all this for bad reasons, which is sort of a, a, a racial monomania that we sometimes see in academia, but uh, also for good reasons in that uh, these schools are flagship schools of their states and, and of the nation. And uh, what happens there is important uh, for, uh, you know, who, who, who governs America, who, who, who gets certain um, 
advantages in America, which is why I think the the um, you know how they how they get students is so vital. So we'll look at those and we'll tell you about them after Halloween. Welcome back to Administrative Static, and I'm continuing my preview of Supreme Court arguments. And uh, the real exciting one is November 7th. And on November 7th, we've got two cases up, one of which is an NCLA case, SEC v. Cochran. Uh, Peggy Little has helmed this all the way through, although someone else will do the argument uh, in the Supreme Court. And it is it has been a long time coming, as has Axon Enterprise, Inc., who um, I, I'm know, have followed this case with great, uh, avidly for a long time, uh, and have spoken to lawyers and, and filed a amicus brief, uh, in, in, the, in the lower courts, um, not in the Supreme Court, but in, in the Ninth Circuit, and in, in, I think even in the district court, but in any event, um, what's the issue here and why is this exciting? Well, for administrative law, these are big cases and they, they're, they each, address a different regulatory agency. Axon has the Federal Trade Commission and SEC v. Cochran has the Security Exchange Commission. And what's going on here? Well, the way the structure of the um, these agencies work, and there's different language, and so I, I don't want to get into the weeds of exactly what the differences are between the FTC Act and the SEC Act, but the um, key thing for both of them is that they have administrative law judges, and these ALJs decide your case within the agency. And as a matter of course, in fact, I was just in, uh, I was just in uh, argument in the Fifth Circuit, and the attorney for the government uh, on another ALJ question was asked, well, can't these ALJs decide their own jurisdiction and decide whether they're constitutionally appointed and what their structure is? And, and the government lawyer said something very honest, which is, um, no, Your Honor, they never address it. If you raise a constitutional issue, they think that'll be taken care of later. And she was very, she was very candid with the court. And I, I think that it's, it's true of both the FTC and the SEC that if you say, well, I shouldn't be here and, and you're not really constituted properly, they say, well, look, Congress con constituted us. We're not going to overrule that. And eventually you will get into an appellate court. And some of the cases have, and what the government argues in both these cases, is that because these statutes say that appeals from the, um, from the ALJ go to the commission, and then appeals from the commission go to an appellate court someday, and the appellate jurisdiction is, I think it says in both, is exclusive from the, from the agency to the appellate court, that you can't sue in district court that, that the structure or there's some constitutional problem with the tribunal from the get-go. 
not that you know you didn't violate the FTC Act or the SEC Act, but that in fact the whole the whole structure of what's happening either there's a Lucia problem, they haven't been appointed properly, or there's some other problem. You can't go to district court and get a ruling in the first instance. But neither of these statutes says that. They just say that when you when the commission says something, that that appeal has to go to uh, an appellate court. But that's a different thing from saying, oh, well, you got a, a constitutional problem. You can't go to a district court, uh, which everybody else can. So I think that these cases are going to be very interesting to anyone who cares about administrative law, because what what are some of the worst features of administrative law and particularly of the FTC, but I would say the SEC as well, um, both of them, uh, is that once you're in their midst, I mean, Michelle Cochran, our client, has been doing this for 78 years. I mean, it's been a long process. It's never ending. And what, what happens is, is that you go in and the ALJ, I, I know the FTC a little better, but um, uh, when, when it's argued, we'll have Peggy on to, to tell us all about it more in detail. But here's the, here's the problem that's going to be addressed, hopefully, at oral argument is this. If you go into the maw of, of either of these agencies, your case is adjudicated before what amounts to an employee of the agencies. That's what the ALJ is. He works for them. And in the FTC context, uh, I... We had a case before them, uh, a previous employee, uh, employment place where I was, a lab MD. And um, that in that case, the ALJ found for the client and the FTC reversed them. And the 11th, we had to go to the 11th Circuit and the 11th Circuit said, come on, no. Basically, the ALJ was right in the first instance. But what we found out in that case, and which has been repeated in many cases, and even in the Axon briefing, is this. If the ALJ in rules for you, says, you know, you didn't violate the FTC Act. Um, in 100% of those cases, the FTC overruled their own administrative law judge. And if he ruled against you in 100% of those cases, they supported him. So you had to go to the appellate appeals court if you lost, and you're always going to lose. You're always going to lose. That is, uh, you know, a Soviet record of adjudication. That isn't anything we normally see in American law. I mean, so, so an SEC is very similar and both of them grind you down. One of the things we see in the SEC cases is no one can afford to take everyone through. I mean, Elon can, and I just saw that Kim Kardashian settled with them uh, on, on something for like 1.4 million. And I guess that's chunk change for her. But, uh, but the fact is most people can't, can't go through that, that, that whole process. So uh, it's very important if there is a constitutional issue about why you shouldn't even been, be there. Um, maybe you're not in the securities business. Maybe, maybe the, the ALJ wasn't properly appointed. Maybe he has his friends with the guy on the other side and he hasn't, you know, there's all kinds of things. So uh, they're going to decide whether you get to go to district court and get a decision right then before anything happens to you. And you get a decision um, before you go all the way up with all the facts found, because that's the other problem with administrative law. The facts found by this, by this ALJ, who, who is not a neutral arbiter, in my view, in the view of, I think, many commentators, it, those facts, the appellate court will be bound by unless they're clearly erroneous. And so all of the 
home cooking, as we used to say at, at jurisdictions that were um, favorable to the, uh, the person who lived there. Um, all those decisions are going to be against you. And if there's a if there's a close run thing, the ALJ has every incentive in the world to rule against you. Because let's face it, I work in I'm an ALJ. I'm sitting there. I'm trying to be honest about the whole thing. I say ah, I don't think that the uh, I don't think the staff attorneys who I all know and I work with and the commission who I'm subordinate to and are all above me and who have all voted for this case. You know, I think they got it wrong. So I'm going to say they got it wrong. And then as soon as I do that, and I spent seven months trying this case, right? And there's, and there's unlimited, in FTC anyway, there's unlimited depositions. You can, you, you can have hundreds and hundreds of questions to, to hundreds of, uh, of uh, deponents. I mean, it's expensive and, it, and, it, and it's, um, it's intrusive and it's time consuming. And then you rule and you say, ah, I rule for the defendant. I think that he was right about this. Well, it goes up to the commission. They're going to reverse you. You just spent all that work to get it wiped away in a heartbeat. Um, where's the incentive there? There's none. So uh, both Axon and SEC are going to be argued on the same day. Uh, the government wanted to uh, do Axon first and then said, oh, that'll, that'll, uh, that will uh, guide us in SEC v. Cochrane. Well, you know, I was... I was born in the day, but it wasn't yesterday. The government was never, ever going to say, oh, look, the, the, the defendant won in Axon, right? Axon won and the FTC lost before the Supreme Court. What would the government say? They wouldn't be guided by it. They'd say that the SEC Act is completely different from the FTC Act. And, and in fact, I think the SEC Act is uh, even, for our purposes, is even better than the act on, on these things but that's not what the government says one of uh, my pet peeves about all this is that these two agencies particularly ftc though it uses sec precedent for uh when it's good for it and then it says oh it, it makes no difference at all when it's bad for it uh, but you'll see just tons of sites to sec cases in the ftc and and i believe vice versa but um not, not so much, though, because the SEC has a lot of precedents and they cite the New York. But, but the fact of the matter is the government wanted these cases separated so they could think up new ways to get around the constitutional uh, problems they both have. And they wanted time to do it. And I'm very pleased that the uh, Supreme Court did not give them that time and said, well, their difference in the statute, isn't it better that we hear what they are at the same time and see whether they matter for the uh, constitutional and administrative law issues. So I think it was wise of the court to put these two together. Um, I think that it's going to be a very interesting day. I don't, I, I'm going to um, take a wander down uh, to the court, which I haven't done this, uh, this term, and take a listen uh, in person. But uh, I think it's going to be quite the... Um, administrative law day, not only argument day, but then when they come out. And uh, Axon has been, you know, they're a company. They, they, they were famous for making tasers. They do other things, but they had made tasers beforehand. And I have to say, I, uh, as, as a nonprofit administrative law uh, lawyer, I've often found that companies will not stand, will not protect their constitutional rights, will not make a stand because it's expensive, 
and you have your regulator against you. And there's all kinds of prudential reasons not to do this. But um, it's important that those who are going to be caught up in this not acquiesce all the time or else we'll never get rulings from the Supreme Court unless you have like a Michelle Cochran, who, uh, who we represent, who's just by herself. But it is nice to get other fact patterns and, and, and what happens to a whole company in these, in these situations. And so there, there has been a lot of fortitude on, on, on our clients, certainly, but uh, for a corporation to show that fortitude is kind of rare. So to get this all the way to the Supreme Court, not to settle is very important. It's important for your liberty too. So I'm looking forward to November 10th.